So, who does he think he is? Can't you imagine those folk from Nazareth buzzing with affront? He had just amazed them in the synagogue, but they can't cope. What gives? He's a carpenter after all. And now all of a sudden he's spouting parables. Who cares about parables? The insults pile up, as they often do in a small community. Oh, yes, we know Mary is mother and brothers and sisters, but of course, uh, no father. Whoops. Let's not forget that he's illegitimate. The translation says they took offense at him. But the Greek word is the direct antecedent of the English word scandal. Is this just small-town jealousy? They seemed initially impressed. They recognized the wisdom, the deeds of power. And then something kicks in. He must be brought down to size. A carpenter, an illegitimate one at that, can't end up a prophet. Who does he think he is? Small-town gossip has not ended, it's just transported itself to social media. We love to criticize. The comments section becomes an opportunity to throw our weight around, to lift ourselves up to the level of judge. And we can half imagine the Nazareans relishing putting Jesus in his place. Put it on Facebook. Remember to point out that there's still no one who will say who the Father is. See how many likes that gets. We know the other side as well. The rejection that eats into souls. When old bonds get broken, and the security of friendship or community is upended. We see how much is at stake when we watch many adolescents twist and turn in order to gain acceptance by their peers. And even as adults, we hardly escape the hurt when we fear we are not wanted. I think of the 60-year-old unemployed man required to fill out letter after letter of application to potential employers, although he knows there will be no response. The rejection sits with him even while he types the address. It stalks him while he walks to the post office. I think of many gay adolescents whose families still kick them out, unfortunately. I think of the young girls Fulata has met, 
whose families in desperation have sold them into sexual slavery. And then if they happen to break free, the families won't take them back because they are soiled goods. Some rejections never heal. Some hurts throb through the long nights. Jesus must have been used to it. Every time he entered a synagogue, conflict ensued. He gets questioned, accused, thrown out. Typical Jesus. He does not address this rejection head on. He's almost oblique. Prophets are not with honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And you can almost imagine how those scandalized must have boiled over at that. Hey, Jesus, kind of a long reach from carpenter to prophet, don't you think? Maybe you should go back to wood and nails. No honor. I was struck by a small note in a commentary that in the time of Jesus, honor was considered as something of limited quantity. If Jesus got more, others got less. If one gets the prize, others end up standing on the sidelines. We know this thinking. If someone is gaining prestige, someone else must be losing it. If people of color are on the rise, surely white folk are in decline. The hierarchies of status or class or privilege don't go away just because of some idea that we are all children of God endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. We live in an age of rankings, hit songs, movie sales, grade points in class, who has the fanciest house on the street, how many followers on TikTok. And the politics of resentment are not at all new. Railing against those on the rise has a long history. Political movements get built from the front. Who do they think they are? We'll show them. Honor. Who is getting honor? The text then gets quirky. It says Jesus could do no power there except for a few minor healings. Mark almost corrects himself mid-sentence. Uh, Jesus was amazed at their disbelief and then he moves on. How some of us wish we had this ability to move on to be secure enough in ourselves so we could leave behind what needs to be left behind.
So Jesus gathers his band and sends them out two by two, almost as if they were giraffes descending from Noah's ark, ready to replenish the earth. But his method is shocking. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. They don't even get a poster announcing that they are disciples of Jesus. They are sent out empty. One might have expected Jesus to take better care of the honor of his disciples. But no, they carry no tools. They do not qualify as workers. They are totally dependent on others for food, for shelter. They have no visible respectability. Without money, they cannot fend for themselves. Basically, they are beggars. There is no honor in that. And yet, without anything except a staff and sandals, they go out and proclaim that all should repent. Hardly the most winning of messages. With nothing in hand, they discover they have the power to stand against evil. Without any badge of dignity or status, they are able to touch people and make them whole. We need to be careful not to turn these instructions of Jesus into new commandments for all time. In fact, the church has rarely been able to follow this line. Maybe St. Francis and some like him occasionally emerge who renew faith through their poverty. But for most of us, no bag, no extra shirts, no bread, panic. Still, we should note, out of the disciples' emptiness, fishermen and tax collectors discover they are doing God's work. When we would want to argue and defend our positions, Jesus points to a staff and sandals. When we would feel we need to claim our space, Jesus speaks of depending on others for shelter. When inside we are raging to buy, Jesus says, no bag, no money. But within the emptiness, Jesus promises healing and the power over evil. In his love, we have no need for status or claims of respectability. Following Jesus 
sometimes means becoming vulnerable, needing help in order to eat, requiring the generosity of others to find a place to sleep, discovering the power of Jesus. Without titles or talents, we point to God's realm coming near. We end up with nothing to protect and everything we need to heal. In football, there are winners and losers, as we saw last Friday night. But in Jesus Christ, love has no winners or losers. There is no limit to honor, nor to compassion, nor to joy. Honor comes to a carpenter. Acceptance extends to an illegitimate child. Grace is offered even to grumpy folks in small towns, fretting that someone else is getting ahead of them. St. Paul quotes the voice of Christ in this morning's reading. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. It is a summation of the gospel. In God's realm, we are no longer trapped by the questions of who is deserving, who is better, who ranks higher, how do we climb? Within the grace of God, all hierarchies collapse. We dare to look at our lives, however briefly, not as the sum of our accomplishments nor the size of our fortunes, simply as a great gift, knowing that we are loved, deeply loved. And because we so often fail at love, in the realm of God, we are no more than beggars, needing help to survive no better than those we dislike, with no more honor than those we deride, no more worthy than those at the end of the line. We stand before God, almost naked, a staff, some sandals, needing bread and a place to rest. And at the same moment, God is at work using us to defeat the demons, to touch others so they might become whole. We no longer need to boast. We are as much weakness as we are strength. But love rises up in us. And we give honor to Jesus the Christ, the prophet in our midst, who teaches us 
holy way, who blesses us in every task we face, who grants us abundant grace and leads us into life. Amen.